1: Hey, guys. Welcome back to the show. It's Basha here. Today, we have a super exciting guest, Bob De Pasquale. He helps organizations build a culture of generosity, and he is also the host of Speaking of Impact podcast. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thank you so much for coming on.
2: Basha, awesome to be here. Hopefully, we have a great conversation today.
1: Likewise, likewise. I'm sure that we will recover what's working and your challenges, your podcasts, and your goals, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get a lot of great takeaways from that. Before we sure. jump in, do you mind telling us a bit about your story and where you are today?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm, I was actually born in New York. And I, I say that because my we were having a conversation beforehand about living in South Florida now. Love the weather here. I just spent a couple of weeks in Canada freezing my butt off, but uh, happy to visit a cool country. And, and the people there were awesome. Uh, but I was actually born in the North. And my, my mother said t- to my dad one day, I, I want to get out of the cold weather. And on a whim, they kind of just moved down to Florida back when I was just a child. And I grew up down here, loved my life. But I said I wanted to go back to I wanted to go back to the north for college, and I had an opportunity to play football and study and be closer with my extended family that I had didn't really know growing up too much down here in Florida. And I went back to New York to Hofstra University uh, for college, and I I thought I had what was. Your typical 18 year old move off to college experience. And little did I know, in just a couple of weeks after moving back up to New York, my life was completely changed. Uh, I don't know how much time we have. I can get into that story. It's, it kind of feeds my life and my business and my purpose these days. Um, but yeah, I moved back up there for college. Uh, life, life was changed, and I ended up moving back to South Florida, and that's where I live now.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Definitely. Let's go, let's touch briefly on that story. Because you know, sure. I'm sure that it's relevant to your business today.
2: Yeah, it's absolutely relevant. And you'll hear me talk about generosity uh, a, a lot uh, in this conversation and, and in my life. And if you follow me around on the interwebs, but uh, it, it changed my life and it saved my life uh, when I was just 18. So I had moved off to college. Now, I don't know about you, Basha, but when I was 18, I thought I was invincible. I thought there was nothing in the world <laughs> that could take me down. I was an 18-year-old kid, uh, thought I was uh, just, you know, like I said, invincible and, and couldn't do it. really couldn't do anything wrong. Well, in just a couple of short weeks, um, I was in training camp playing football. Now, here we are recording this interview at the at the end of football season, but if, if you've ever played or you know anything about American football, a training camp is a pretty tough time before the season starts every year. And I was a freshman, uh, a kid, just trying to prove myself playing Uh, a man's sport with a bunch of grown men who are, you know, 21, 22 years old. And I had what I thought was a groin injury. And another, another thing about, uh, about, or something about being 18 is like you you think you're invincible. And I found out that a groin injury can really take you down. Little did I know there was other things that were going to take me even down further than that. But if you've ever pulled a groin muscle, if you're listening out there, you know, how hard it is to even stand up and move and just walk. If you can't move your leg with that muscle, you don't even realize you use it that much. Um, So it was very debilitating. And I would do these rehab exercises in the training room at like six in the morning before practice. And, uh, you know, college training room Bosch is way different than a high school training room. There's hundred plus people in there on a given morning, getting ready for practice. There's all kinds of trainers and doctors and players and coaches And my my rehab exercise was to sit on a three-wheeled stool and shimmy across the training room. And and basically, I was just dodging people, but I think that was part of the exercise. Well, I was doing this for like a week, and it wasn't getting any better. And the head trainer was this tiny little guy. His name was Rick. Really, really nice guy, but you didn't really get a chance to talk to this guy so much because he was so busy. And he would stand on a box in the middle of the training room. And he would scream and, and he would hold his hands together, cup his hands together and say and, and call out his orders or whatever need to happen. And one day, it, it all, through all of the commotion on a given morning in the training room, super loud, it, it it felt like it got dead silent at this moment on one day. And he screamed across the room to me and said, Bobby, and they would call me Bobby at the time. So you need to be back out of the field. Don't act like a weakling. And I'm thinking to myself, man, now this little trainer, who's all of 140 pounds soaking wet is calling me out in front of all of my coaches and staff and teammates. And I was like, man, I feel like such a loser, but my injury wasn't getting any better. So I said, Rick, I had a more private meeting with him. And I said, Rick, listen, man, um, something's not getting any better. Like this is not normal. So he's like, all right, I'm going to send you to a doctor. So over a period of about a week, here I am, an 18-year-old, technically an adult. I'm driving all around Long Island, New York, going through all these tests. And I get sonograms, MRIs, CAT scans, uh, you name it. I had every test in the book. Well, the day that my parents were supposed to come up for my first college game, I had one final doctor's appointment. Now, I expected this appointment to take two hours plus, like all the other ones did. But I walked in. I had no paperwork to fill out. I They, they sat me down in an office within five minutes of getting into the office, the doctor came in and all he said to me was, Bobby, you have cancer. And I said, what? I mean, I'm 18. I'm invincible. I don't you know, have cancer. He's like, I know you're probably shocked. We'll hook you up with an oncologist. I didn't even know what an oncologist was at the time. And that was it. He said, you can go. I walked out of that appointment, Basha, and I didn't expect to hear from my parents because they were flying up. They were going to be on the plane. And they didn't expect me to be out of the appointment. But My mom said, you know what, I'm going to try to give him a call anyway, even though he's probably at the doctor. And I walked out of the building. My phone rang, perfect timing or imperfect timing, depending on how you look at it. And my mom said to me, hey, you know, we landed. I can't wait to see you. Um, How'd the appointment go? And I was like, well, um, about that appointment, mom, <laughs> uh, the doctor told me I have cancer. And I could... I, my mom said nothing, but she was screaming all at the same time. I mean, I could just feel the air sucked out of the vehicle that she was driving in. And the only thing I could hear after a couple seconds was my dad on the other end saying, Susan, Susan, you know, what's wrong? And he could tell something was wrong too. So we met back at my uncle's house who still lived in New York and my mom's brother. And we, I, mean, I gave my parents a big hug. I had never been home, away from home that that much time. But we just found out that I was diagnosed with cancer and, you know, we shed some tears, said a few prayers, and it was just a terribly challenging time in my life. And a couple of days later, it was a Saturday now, it was supposed to be my first game. Obviously, I wasn't playing in the game at this point. My uncle's best friend came over to the house. And this is this was the key moment in this whole in all of what happened. He, he came over. We had never met the guy before because we lived in Florida and he handed my parents his keys. And he said, Bob and Susan, take my car for as long as you could possibly need it. I can't imagine what you're going through with your son right now. And I know you're going to need a vehicle to get around. So he just gave my parents his car and he was there for maybe 15 minutes. And he said goodbye to my uncle and, and us. And that was it. And he left. And there, you know, mm-hmm. didn't see him again. And that was Saturday. Now, on the following week, I was supposed to start classes. And my oncologist told me, you can't not go to class. You can't just drop out. You got to do something with your life. We're going to figure out how to treat you. We're going to, we're going to figure out this cancer, but you can't do nothing. So I went to my second ever college class on Tuesday morning with Tim's car and I got out of the class and I went to grab something to eat before I had to hop back in the car, meet my parents and go to some doctor's appointments and, or meet, meet my oncologist. And I'm sitting there eating a breakfast burrito in the cafeteria. And this is before flat screen televisions and all, The news is on, on one of these like small tube televisions that's hanging from a bracket in the corner of the ceiling and the wall, you know, like in a public place, they'd have these TVs. I'm watching the news and all of a sudden a plane hits one of the twin towers in downtown Manhattan there in New York. And I'm like, wow, what a horrible accident. I called my dad. He's back at my uncle's. And I was like, hey, you watching the news? He goes, yeah, you know, I saw that plane. That's crazy. We're talking for, I mean, maybe a minute. And bam, the second plane hits the second tower, and the the terrorist attacks of 9-11 are happening like right there. And I, you know I'm in New York, so my dad's like, "Well, you better get you better get in the car and get home, or get back to your uncle." So I hopped in the car. I don't even think I the, the burrito is probably still sitting on the table there <laughs> in the cafeteria. And I took a, what would typically take me a fifteen minute drive, took me nine hours. So. I'm in the car, burning towers in the distance. I've since have a uh, got a master's degree in broadcast journalism, and I used to love radio, but I will never ever listen to nine straight hours of a m radio again, listening to this whole thing. I pulled into my uncle's driveway or into his neighborhood, actually. I ran out of gas. We had to push my car into his driveway, and we're all looking at each other, like, what's happening? like a few days ago, I thought my life was over. Now I feel like the world is over because of what's happening here. And my, my aunt was hysterical because my uncle was supposed to fly home to New York that morning. He had been on business in Denver the night before. And I tell you this part of the story because we were frantic. I mean, we know what it's like to feel the the potentially losing someone on that day. Finally, he calls at 8 PM around 8 PM and says, Hey, I'm okay guys, don't worry about me. I, you know, I, I couldn't catch the flight. The phones have been out all day. I, you know, are you okay? And everything, everyone's fine. But except he said, I'm good. But unfortunately, Tim, my friend, who you all just met was in the towers that morning and he died. And at that moment, we just didn't know what to say. And we thought, and, and, I th- and I've thought of it since then, like this guy did the most generous thing for our family that I've ever seen and ever ever felt before. And I use the word felt because generosity is something you feel. You don't just see it or do it. And ultimately, I found out that Tim was a very, very generous guy. And so was the firm that he worked for, uh, Cantor Fitzgerald, which is an investment bank in, in, in Manhattan there. And they lost everyone. Hundreds of people died from that company that day. And they were a very, very charitable organization. They donated office space to my uncle's foundation for cystic fibrosis. But um, there's other stories that day, but for me, I realized that generosity is, it's a mindset. It's something that you do for people. And we just don't know when our lives could be over. We we don't know how many opportunities we have in life to do something for someone else. So we might as well do as many as we possibly can.
1: Wow. That is, that's a phenomenal story. I can't even imagine what that must've felt like living there, you know, being so close Mm -hmm. to it while it's happening. That's insane. And it it was was,
2: that, that time of my life, not a day goes by Bastia where I don't think about that period. This is not an exaggeration every day of my life. I think about what happened then. And it kind of has shaped my worldview over the past 20 years.
1: I'm sure that it has. I'm sure that it has, but it's beautiful that you were able to take all of that and decide to, you know, carry that generosity forward and continue helping out other people. That's, that's the most important part because you can you can have such a traumatic experience happen to you and then turn bitter because of it or you can mm. choose to do something with it and you chose to do something with it. And I think that that's that's beautiful. I, so I love that. I don't that's love awesome. what happened to you, but I I, I love what you did. With that.
2: <laughs> me either. So, me either. And I you know people have asked me also, do you have regrets or would you change anything? And I mean I would never wish chemotherapy and surgery and all that I had to go through and terrorism. I would never wish that on anyone. Uh, and I don't think anyone would, uh, but yeah. I don't think I would ch- I know that I wouldn't change the results or what has happened since then. Um, and, and I believe strongly that it that that it, it happened for a reason. And you know, maybe I was the one of the people that maybe could handle that. I don't know. you know I don't think I have any special skill of resilience or anything, but I do know that the lessons um, that I've been learning, I've been learning lessons for that for two decades now. Uh, it probably took me a couple of years, it took me, months to heal physically, or, you know, maybe half a year. And then mentally, it took me about a year. But emotionally, it took me at least two years, if not longer to recover from all that would happen. And since then, uh, it's been providing lessons for me, which is great. You got I have to look at it that way.
1: But it's good that you do look at it that way. Like I said, Mm -hmm. you can either choose to be better from it, or you can choose to do something with it. So phenomenal story. I hate to switch gears though. Um, <laughs> no worries. But let's, let's, let's cover your business as well. Cause we do only have, we only have about 15 to 20 minutes left, but um, let's talk about your business. So what is your focus going to be for 2023?
2: Well, I have two focuses. Um, I hope that's okay to have two. And, and sorry to, to put that, that story on everyone out there, but I think that really will help you understand why, I, why I'm in the business that I'm in. So, Um, So I have two focuses for this year. Uh, Number one is, so I I manage, I own and and operate and manage with my business partner, a wealth management firm focused on generosity. And so I spent, uh, after I I alluded to earlier that I I was in broadcasting, I I left the broadcasting industry and I got recruited into into the financial world. Uh, And I worked with thousands of families over the years. And about a couple of years ago, my, my business partner and I decided to leave the firm that we worked for for many years because people were asking us. Uh, to help them with some services that just weren't capable of being offered in that business model. And a lot of them were focused. I'm so sorry. Around,
1: would you mind, yeah, go ahead. would you mind going back It cut out?
2: Oh, no worries. Um, I apologize. Would did you lose me?
1: Um, it was where you got recruited into the financial
2: uh, sure. industry. Sure. Sure. got oh, recruited into nice. the financial industry and was super excited, worked with thousands of families over the years to help uh, to help them make wise decisions. But about a couple of years ago, we really noticed people asking us to offer some additional services that just weren't allowed in that business model. So my business partner and I really didn't want to leave our firm. We love working for them. We love the mission of the organization, but we had no choice. So we wanted to start a firm focused uh, on generosity and helping people identify the things that are most meaningful to them and not, uh, um, not to lessen the value or desire or need to make wise financial decisions but to find a purpose behind why they're saving, investing, building businesses. I mean, I know you talk to a lot of business people on this show. I would venture a guess that just about all of the people that you've spoken with and interviewed over the over the period of time or the people that listen, there's a reason why they're in business and they want their business to be successful financially and influentially. It's not just to have a bank account. It's because they care a lot about their family or they want to do something or there's causes that they care about. Um, So my, so my, my first focus is making sure that our business is thriving and doing well so that we can help people identify what's most meaningful, take the financial stresses that they normally have off the table so that they can chase after those dreams, building their business, supporting causes, maybe starting their own foundation or doing their own charitable work. So that's my number one focus, making sure people can do well uh, with what they're already doing good with. And then my second focus is talking with groups and or other organizations about the power of generosity. Um, So it's, I got two focuses, helping people be generous. And then the other one is telling people about the power of generosity because I believe generosity is not only good for the person uh, who receives an act of generosity. Uh, I talk a lot about um, a friend of mine, Wendy Steele who works for an organization called Impact 100 Global. And she talks about in a TED talk and a lot of her work about the power of hormones and one of them specifically being oxytocin. If you're a mom or a parent out there, you know the power of the uh, this hormone. It, it's, it's involved in childbirth. It's involved in bonding uh, amongst family members and loved ones. And so, when someone receives a gift, it's benefiting them not only because they're getting a tangible value or it could be a, a financial gift, but there's there's a bond between them and the person who gives, and the person who gives also feels good and gets that oxytocin hit. And most people can understand that. But what I found and like I said, through researching a lot of uh, Wendy's content, is that the third party also receives that hit of, t- of oxytocin. So you don't have to give or receive a gift to benefit from generosity. You can just see it or experience it. You can be a third on, uh, an onlooking third party of a generous act, and you feel good about it. Just that, That's why people love watching feel-good stories, and that there's happy endings to movies, and there's YouTube channels about this because people love just to experience generosity. So that means, that tells me that it's good for you, it's good for your family, it's good to teach young people about being being generous. And if you're a business owner out there and you got a staff and a team of people, whether it's one person that you subcontract or you got a thousand employees, a generous culture is good business. I love that,
1: I love that. Generosity is infectious.
2: Absolutely. And it, it really is. I mean, I've seen company, the companies that make the the their employees and their customers feel like they're part of something great that's bigger than themselves is so powerful. If I'm in a cubicle and if I'm in one cubicle at this company and I'm working on a project, in direct competition, or I got to stomp on the, my neighbor in the cubicle next door to be successful, or I got to prove myself so that so I can take their job. That's not a good culture. But if it's collaborative, if it's generous, if I know that my work is helping the person next to me. I mean, I'm much more likely to stay with that with this organization. And there's a lot of talk about there about benefits. I mean, you got to offer more time off, more vacation, better retirement benefits, matching on 401ks. And don't get me wrong. I'm in the financial space. Matching on 401ks is very important. If you're an employee and your company matches, do your best to, to get that match because that's a great financial benefit. But I'm telling you, business owners. The reason why people stay with an organization is not just because of the retirement plan or their vacation policies. It's because it's enjoyable to work there and generosity is part of that.
1: Absolutely. I completely agree. I'd much rather go into work and know that the people around me aren't out to get me and it's a nice, healthy environment I know that I'm going in there. And I'm going to enjoy my work day and I'm going to enjoy the stuff that I'm doing versus, you know, going into a toxic environment where my coworker next in the cubicle next to me is talking bad about me and saying, oh, my gosh, you know, did you hear what Basha did? Did you hear she yeah. didn't send in that report? <laughs> I,
2: I've seen it. I've, I've seen it happen. I've seen it. In you know, I mean, I used to manage a team of people at my previous at my previous firm. Now we're much more lean and mean, so I don't have to deal with those relationships as much. I still do. But I dealt with it for years. And I mean, I made a mistake as a leader many times of trying to create this competition. And I thought I was doing it in a healthy way. Um, But people aren't going to tell you that if they don't feel comfortable with it. They're not going to say this is unhealthy or I don't like it. They're, they're just going to go with the flow because they want to be the best they can be. They want to prove themselves. And, you know, I made that mistake many times. If I can go back 10, a decade ago, I'd say, you know what? I need to create a more generous culture uh, within my team. And, and even if you're a mid-level manager, you still have a team of people that you can create your own little generous culture within a, a, a broader organization. And the other thing I should mention is that customers, customers want to do business with generous organizations you know that's the reason why companies out there like to talk about and promote on social media their generosity now there's a way to do it you don't want to just stand over here and say hey we're the greatest company all we do is give money away and time but if they people know people people feel it if you're if you're a customer of an organization you can and you feel like that organization is not just collecting collecting your money and and the employees aren't just collecting paychecks to appease shareholders that they're using their platform to do something good in the world. Um, How awesome is that? I would, I would immediately, I would spend more money at a, at an organization that's that's using their revenues for good than I would at a company that's giving me the same product for lesser price. If I could, if it, if it proved that they weren't doing good with what they, with, with, with my money, you know what I mean? Like you want to be involved in organizations that care about something.
1: Absolutely no, I completely agree. I mean at the end of the day, people like to feel good. People like to feel good about themselves, they like to feel good about what they're doing for the most part. So absolutely, I completely agree with you. Awesome. Um, but let's so let's switch back to your your business itself. What is your goal for revenue for 2023?
2: well for for our uh, for our financial business, um, we we just started the business. So we're mm-hmm. trying to get to seven figures. Um, okay. That would be an ideal goal uh, as, a, as a gross target. And I think when you look back at what we what we previously done in our previous organization, we find that um, strong financial goals are very, very important. We spent 12 years building that platform um, and we didn't leave to make more money. Um, but we realized that in the long run, I think the world needs the focus that we have now. So I'm hoping that we can reach that goal. Uh, and well beyond that, um, if we can scale as as we plan, and if our business plans go as, as according to plan, um, the next three to five years will be a tremendous growth.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So then um, with all your success, what is your biggest challenge today?
2: Simplicity. Uh, it's that time of year, Basha, where we talk about focus, and we talk about goals and what's our word of the year. I've heard this one floating around a lot out there on in, on the internet. And for me, it's simplicity. I think with, with the two things that I told you I'm focused on right now, helping families be generous and then teaching organizations how to have a generous culture. Um, those are the two things, uh, absolute top priorities. Not that they haven't been priorities in the past, but I get shiny object syndrome. I get new ideas, I say, you know, look, I can generate $100,000 of revenue from this side project, or I can do it, or I can generate more followers and and more positioning in this platform. And I just need to focus on simple tasks to accomplish the goals that we're trying to accomplish. And I've said it many times when it comes to generosity, um, it's not complicated. In fact, it's probably one of the most simplest things that's been around Uh, for at least 2023 years now, if you're doing the math, (laughs) um, (laughs) as we record this year in in the early part of 2023. Generosity has been around a long time. It's simple. The problem is it's not always easy to execute. So I'm finding that the simpler that you keep it, the easier it is to execute. So um, that's what I'm gonna be doing this year. So if anyone's a business owner out there and they want some accountability and jump on this bandwagon with me, hit me up because um, I am highly attracted to business owners that are focused uh, on the simple things that help their businesses get to the next level.
1: Absolutely, love it. Um, so then in the next 12 months, where do you predict that you might get slowed down?
2: Well, the, the first thing is getting letting some of these things distract us and me and my business partner, You know, getting other things out there, other projects that we think we need to work on. So if I can eliminate those, um, that would be the first step. But since I already gave you that answer, um, I'll give you another one. Um, I, I think being in the uh, the economic and financial space that we're in, I think a lot of the unpredictability and the uniqueness um, of the geo geopolitical scenarios and economic issues that are that are happening right now in the world could really be a trip up for us. Uh, one for the simple fact that if if economically our country and our world is not doing as well, it's hard to get hired to speak. Uh, you know, I, I like to think that companies still need a generous culture. Um, but we're definitely hearing that, right? when when companies are cutting budgets, a lot of times the first place they go to cut a budget is in their uh, in their conference budget, right? So they may not be paying speakers quite as much. So that could be that could be a trip up in that in that area of the business. But then also being mm-hmm. in the financial space, people are struggling financially. Um, and they need advice. But it's interesting when they're struggling financially, but then they come to someone who works in the financial space, a financial planner or and financial advisor, that person needs to be compensated as well, right? So our company still needs to generate revenue. Um, but when people's accounts or values are not as high as they used to be, uh, it's hard to justify uh, paying more for a service. So those things could certainly trip us up for sure. Not that we don't have things in place to uh, to prevent it, but those things definitely come to mind as a business owner in my world.
1: Right, of course, yeah. I completely understand. So <laughs> slightly similar question, um, but if you were to double or triple your revenue, what are some challenges you believe you might face or cha- or changes you might need to make?
2: Oh, this is actually an easy one because I have okay. <laughs> been working in this space with triple the revenue before. But since uh, we took a step back, now I'm kind of, I know how to handle these problems now. Um, so the number, the number one thing that you run into is complexity. Uh, the, the bigger mm-hmm. a business is, the more things are going on. And so when you have more complexity, that takes my time away from what I do best. So it's vitally important that you navigate that road as a business owner, that you figure out what are the things that I need to spend my time on. And the bigger a business is and the more complexity it has, the more items that have to get done and the longer it takes to get the other things done. So does it make more sense for me to pivot to a different role as our company scales? Or does it make sense for me to stay in the same role and hire someone else to do those new roles? And I am finding out, I, I know this right away, of, of how to do it now. Previously, when I had started building a business, the way I expected it to work is I was going to graduate into these new roles and we would find someone else to fill the, the roles that I, was, uh, that I was vacating, if you will. But mm-hmm. that's not the case at all. I found out that I'm already good at certain stuff. I'm going to keep doing it. And then if there's something, if I need a new role to be filled, I'm going to go hire someone for the new role because they're gonna to have to l- learn and assimilate to the organization anyway. So number one uh, is that, how is my time best spent? And as we grow, where do the new people and new pieces fit in? And then the other thing, Basha, that is probably even more important to be honest with you, is that you cannot grow an organization without growing with your customers. And this is so important. And I think this is part of the reason why my business partner and I got to the point at which we had to leave our previous organization because we weren't growing with our customers. What we were doing was growing on where we thought the market needed work and where we thought mm-hmm. the market desired services. And what happened was, is we came to a point where we, we had a pretty serious conversation. Like we either going to keep going in this direction that we don't actually, we're not actually serving the people how they want to be served. And we're not actually getting fulfilled by it. Or we can go in this direction where people wanted us to. And if we would have waited any longer, we probably wouldn't have been able to, to make that big switch because that was quite a quite an ordeal to, to give up what we gave up and to start something new. Um, so perhaps the most important thing or thing that I could see tripping us up potentially is not growing with the customers, not solving the problems that they are identifying. So if you're a business owner out there and you see your company growing and you're doing something really well, I'm not telling you not to keep doing that but continue to get feedback from your customers. Ask them whether it's a survey. I mean, it's so easy these days. You can send out a simple survey. If you're selling a product, once the sale is complete, you can have people fill out a survey and the response rates are surprisingly high. If it's more of a service-based business like what we provide, then when we're having meetings with people, whether they're in the office these days or if it's on Zoom, like we're talking right now, I will just literally ask them face-to-face, What what are the concerns that you have? How did you feel that our service, did our service provide something for you? Did it make you feel good? Anything else that we're missing? Like you have to ask them and they'll tell you what what your next project should be. And we're probably past most people's business planning for this year. But one practice I do now is I used to sit down before Thanksgiving in November and spend hours brainstorming on what I thought was important for our business planning for the next year. Then we would meet with the team and we would go over with all the employees and everyone as part of the organization on what it is that we need to focus on. And I realized after about halfway through my career that it was just, it was not diverse at all in thought. It was just everything that I thought was important. And the reason why I hire people is not to be yes men and to do everything that I'm already doing. It's to have other ideas. So, and, and then I realized a couple of years after that. So then I started polling our, our team and I still always ask employees, but then I realized it's the customers that matter most. So why are we not asking them? So we could easily get tripped up if we focus too much on what we think is most important.
1: Absolutely. But at least you're aware of the mistake that you were making and you know how to overcome it with surveys it was by just asking the customer, you know, what what how, what could we do better? So I'm glad yeah. that, there's a lot of self-awareness that has to go into, into business.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have heard a million times. One of the greatest thing about being an entrepreneur is that you get to make all the decisions. And then the problem though, is that you have to make all the decisions. Um, and I talk about this in my book, um, decision fatigue is a real thing, especially in these days where there's so much bombardment of social media and and messages out there. I mean, I, There's a statistic that over 2,100 times a day, we interact with our devices, whether it's swiping, texting, phones, clicking, watching videos, notifications. I mean, that's a lot of stimulation. It's very, very hard to make decisions. And one of the best ways to help make decisions is to gather information so that it's a lot easier to make the decision. And you can do it faster. If you have more information, you can do it faster. If I get a question now, Uh, or if I have a a, a question or something that I need to address for our business, now I can go to the data and it's right there. I don't have to waste time. I could say, well, this is what the customers are saying. Well, then it it makes the decision much, much easier.
1: Of course, of course, yeah. All right, let's switch gears and let's talk about your podcast. So what, Mm -hmm. what kind of topics do you cover?
2: So the podcast called Speaking of Impact, it's all about people doing what they love and making the world a better place. So the topics that we cover... Um, our purpose. So what is the reason behind what the work or the or, or the volunteering that you do? Um, what is the, <clears throat> the, the other thing that we like to talk, talk about is what are the practical steps you can take to use your influence and resources to make the world a better place? So we'll talk specifically with successful business owners about how they're using that platform to accomplish something beyond just the bottom line of their business. Um, and then finally, the, the why. And it's somewhat related to purpose, but people's individual why, not just the purpose behind their business. So, so like, for example, if someone, uh, we had a we had some uh, father and son combination on, they sell socks. They're the world's largest internet or, or sock retailer. And the purpose behind their business is to provide socks for people that they need to wear socks, whether they're uh, long socks, short socks, but it's pretty simple purpose behind their business. But the purpose behind their work or the why behind what they do uh was so meaningful um they so they they like to say that they so th- the son has what they call differing abilities um he has he's, he's challenged in certain areas and so he was able to start this company despite his differing abilities uh, and now they hire just about everyone that they hire has some sort of differing ability and it was such a meaningful conversation because they told me that, The reason or what they're selling is socks. And the purpose behind is to help people put something on their feet. But the why was to empower anyone with differing abilities to believe that they can contribute to society and really be an entrepreneur. I mean, you don't have to be an employee just because you have differing abilities. You can be an entrepreneur and a person. So we love to talk about people's why on Speaking of Impact.
1: That is so sweet. That is so sweet. I love that. That's, that's amazing. So then I'm sure I can, I can infer the what your favorite thing is about podcasting, but I want to hear from you. What is your favorite thing about podcasting?
2: Oh, well, I, I mentioned about my, my broadcasting career that really never got started because I got recruited out. I just love communication. I love talking to people and asking questions I uh, Don't get me wrong. I love answering questions too. And you've had some great <laughs> ones today, but I also, I also love asking them because I want to mm-hmm. know like what drives people. And in this world where there is so much stimulation, I think most people are, are looking for some kind of special type of inspiration or motivation to do something because there are so many messages out there. It can, you can get easily distracted. So the ones that like rise above the rest are the ones that are the most powerful. And for me, that I get that. I get that max level inspiration from talking with people who are successful in areas that aren't related to what I do. So, I, I mean, Basha, I know plenty of other financial planners and financial types who are managing billions of dollars. And they're very, very successful by just about any measure that you can come up with. But if I'm being honest with you, I've been living and talking with those people for over a decade, so they don't rise above anymore. What rises above are people that are doing, like people who sell socks or people who are artists. I, I had a guy on the show once. He he has an NFT project. I don't know how much you, everyone out there, knows about non fungible tokens, um, but at its base level, it's digital art. But it's also a way to incorporate community in the projects and the businesses that you have on the blockchain. And we don't have to get into those technicals too much, but this guy is an artist, and you know he uh, he's a visual artist, he's a photographer, videographer, um, but he decided to create this NFT project. And it wasn't that he created the NFT project that was interesting; it's what he's doing with it. It's called Superhero Grannies. You can you can check it out. The guy's name is Tobin Jones, and what he's doing is he went to um, a small African village, and because he, he was actually born over there. And he took pictures of these grandmas. And these grandmas got together a couple of years back because in the slums, if you're a grandma in the slums, you're highly susceptible to attack uh, because you're, you know, you're elderly and you're just in a bad area. People are just savage. It's just really sad. Well, they decided to getting together and they started taking martial arts classes. So they call themselves the Kung Fu grannies. And so Tobin went over there, took pictures of them, and realized. It cost a lot of money, at least in their dollars, to to organize these things, and these women needed financial support, not just physical training. So what he did was he's, he he got these NFTs, and now he sells the NFTs, and in perpetuity, anytime one of those those NFTs is sold. Now remember, this is a digital picture of the grannies. They're really cool looking, actually, but you would you would want them just to see them. But it also supports a good cause. So when he sells the original mint. Of one of the nfts they make a percentage of money and then if I bought it from him and then sold it to someone else more money would go to these ladies so he's creating this passive income for these grannies who really need the financial support uh in their small town and then he's also using it to promote that message in the world so I love talking about people with this stuff and that inspires me so much to use some to do something unique in my field uh rather than just listen to people in my field so the favorite part about podcasting is a really long way of saying is just talking <laughs> with people and seeing what inspires them.
1: That's amazing. I love it. I love it. So one last question, and then yep. um, we'll we'll go ahead and head out. But what have your biggest pain points been about around growing your podcast and your business?
2: My biggest influence is that what you said. Biggest
1: pain points.
2: Oh, pain points. What has been the most difficult uh, well, thing? So I'm not a technical, technically savvy person. I like to think I'm on the cutting edge, you know, at Initiate Impact, our firm, we're we're very, very forward focused with technology. Uh, but we have the specialists to do that, right? I, I wanted to make sure that was the case. It's not my thing. So, what I struggled with, especially early on with the podcast, was trying to figure out how to promote this thing and how to get people to listen and how to use algorithms and how to how to upload and and different, you know, hosting and all those things. So that was a pain point for sure learning the technical aspects of it and then the other thing is at this point you know we're at a point now and and you know we're super blessed and people are requesting to be on the show all the time one of my biggest struggles kind of in that middle stage of growing the show was identifying the the ideal and perfect guest to come on the show uh and then kind of telling some people you know we just we're book solid you know it's i'm not very very good at saying no Um, But it was a it was a real challenge. And it goes back to the thing I mentioned earlier. We just needed to pull the audience like we needed to ask existing listeners what they want to hear more of. And once Mm -hmm. I was able to do that, I was able to solve that. But that was definitely a pain point, trying to sift through all the different inquiries and determine which, which people would provide the most value for the listeners.
1: Absolutely. Love it. All right, um, is there are there any pieces of advice that you have for our listeners regarding generosity, regarding their business, just in general?
2: Okay, well, I'll give you I'll give you one of each. Uh, regarding your okay. business, <laughs> going back to simplification, uh, pick your priorities. Whether you're a brand new solopreneur, you just started your business, or you've been in business for thirty years and you're doing a restart, whatever it is, simplify. Uh, commit to three top priorities in a given quarter. Uh, There's a book that I read called 12 12 Week Year. If anyone's interested in that book, check it out. But it got me to commit to a a limited amount of focuses in a given period of time. Less is more. I know you got 50 different ideas and that's why you started a business. Uh, But if you can focus on three or less and get those right, I think you'll have much more momentum to jump on doing the rest of those, those ideas you have. So that's for business. Um, for generosity, it's as simple as this. Generosity is a mindset and not an event. So never think that you have to overcommit time or energy or thought energy to being generous. You may not have the time. If you're a busy business, business owner, uh, part of the service that we do at my business is to help take some of those tasks off your plate so you can be more generous. But we understand there's time, there's certain times where you're all in on your business and you necessarily don't have the time to organize, to start a nonprofit organization or to start a whole generosity project. You may only have time for in the moment actions and that's absolutely okay. Do simple things like telling people, thank you, expressing your appreciation for your server at your, at your restaurant or someone at the gym or someone who helped or your valet or whoever it is. Uh, opening doors for people. Um, it just telling people that you appreciate what they've done for them is such an amazing, powerful act of generosity. And I always say this, I heard this once at a concert. You may not change the world, but you may change the world for one person. And if you live by that, generosity gets a lot easier.
1: That's beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show as well. Um, Group, if you're listening and enjoyed, please like and subscribe. If you're a six-figure entrepreneur and would like to come on the show, please visit top100interview.com. Thank you.
0: Hey, everyone. I hope you really enjoyed that episode. As always, if you want to listen to more daily interview content, make sure you subscribe. And here's three ways I can help you in your business for free